Good morning and welcome to Cornerstone Presbyterian Church Online. It's my great joy to preach to you about the resurrection of Jesus from Mark chapter 16. I'd love for you to open your Bibles please to Mark chapter 16 so that you can follow along this morning. Like so many other English words, the excellent word terrific has been trivialised. Would you like to catch up for coffee? Yes, that would be terrific. Here, terrific is a positive word. I'd love to do that. The word itself, though, derives from the Latin terrere, which means to frighten. The adjective terrific actually means frightening or terrifying. We will learn this morning that the three women who discovered Jesus' empty tomb left that place trembling and bewildered. In fact, they were too frightened even to speak. We are going to see that Jesus' resurrection was terrific. Terrific in both senses of the word. Terrific as in frightening and terrific as in wonderful. Now, Mark was not, as we might assume, a disciple of Jesus. The author is almost certainly the John Mark that we read about in the book of Acts, the same John Mark who abandoned Paul on his first missionary journey. He might also be the mysterious streaker that we read about in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Someone grabbed hold of a, of a young man who was among Jesus' disciples. And he shed his cloak and ran off into the night naked. Because Mark is the only gospel writer who records that event, some people think that Mark was writing about himself and something that happened to himself on that night. Some very early Christian writings say that Mark wrote down the Apostle Peter's eyewitness testimony about Jesus' life and teaching. So that in Mark's Gospel, we hear Peter's account of Jesus' life. Let's pick it up at Mark chapter 16 from verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Mark names three women who came to Jesus' tomb. Luke tells us that Jesus had driven seven demons from Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had also been at Golgotha. Other than that, we don't know very much more about them. Mark apparently expected his original readers to know who these women were, and that points to a very early date for Mark's Gospel. In fact, Mark wrote his report within 30 years of the events that he describes. Mark's historical account was open to refutation, open to be scrutinised by people who had seen what he reports. And Mark has stood the test of time as a reliable report of Jesus' life. Anointing a corpse with spices was ordinary Jewish burial ritual. The bodies were wrapped in a cloth and the spices weren't intended to slow down decomposition but to mask the smell of decomposition. The bones were recovered 
and placed in a wooden box called an ossuary. And ossuaries were typically stored together in a family tomb. These women were coming to perform these kinds of funeral arrangements for Jesus. Very early on the first day of the week, Mark tells us in verse 2, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? The first day of the week is Sunday. Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath when all work was forbidden. The women came to tend to Jesus' body as soon as they were able to. Now, there are two surprises here in Mark's account. The first surprise is this. There are no men. Where are the disciples? Well, they had fled the scene. They were afraid that they would share Jesus' fate. Later, these cowardly men became bold and brave evangelists. What transformed them? The very events described in this passage. Some think that the disciples invented the story of the resurrection. But if they wanted to impress people enough to want to follow them, and if they had been prepared to lie about the resurrection, would they have been so forthcoming about their own cowardice? Unless they were just telling the facts. The second surprise is this. Women weren't eligible at that time to testify in Jewish courts. If Mark was concocting a convincing resurrection account, why would he tell us that the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection were women? Unless, again, he was just telling us the facts. In verse 4, we read that when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. The women need not have worried about the stone. The stone had already been rolled aside. They would have felt relief for that problem solved. But relief soon gave way to worry. Who has opened the tomb? Has the tomb of Jesus been robbed? And they go into the tomb to find out. And what do they see? A young man dressed in a white robe. And that is strange. White robes were for weddings, not funerals. And he's not doing anything. He's just sitting there on the right-hand side. He's sitting as though he is waiting for these women to arrive. And Mark tells us that the women felt alarmed. It is the same word that described Jesus' alarm and distress in the Garden of Gethsemane as he contemplated his imminent crucifixion. Don't be alarmed, said the young man. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. In fact, there is nothing going on here 
that could hurt you. On the contrary, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. You came to tend to the body of a dead man, but something has happened. He has risen. Notice that the man did not say his body has been moved, but he is risen. He is alive. Why do you look for a living man in this place of death? Now, liberal scholars are really unable to accept Jesus' physical resurrection. And they say things like this. They lived in such an unscientific age back then. They were prone to believing such fabulous stories. What the disciples meant to say was that Jesus rose in their hearts, that though physically dead, his spirit lived on in them, in his teaching. Now, it's true that they didn't have steam engines and iPods back in the first century, but they knew just as well as any scientist that dead people don't rise to life. Mark did not intend to communicate to us that Jesus' body remained dead and that his resurrection was merely spiritual. Listen to the plain, dignified and very physical words of that young man. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Jesus' resurrection was physical. In fact, it was tangible for the resurrected Jesus ate and drank with his disciples and he even invited them to put their hands into his crucifixion wounds. The spiritual blessings did not come in spite of Jesus' physical death, but because of his physical resurrection. Yes, Jesus would live resurrected in the hearts of his disciples, but only because he first lived resurrected upon this earth. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, said the young man in verse 7, go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The women now have a new job to do. Not to tend to Jesus' corpse, but to announce his resurrection. Beginning with the disciples. Beginning, in fact, with Peter. Why is Peter singled out? Well, Peter was the one who denied Jesus three times after boasting that he would never abandon Jesus. And Peter was right then weeping bitterly for Jesus' death and for abandoning his Lord and friend at a time when he most needed help. Go and tell the disciples, and especially Peter. This was a special grace for poor, broken Peter.
In fact, God's grace is always special. God's grace always exactly fits the sinner. To forgive our particular sins and to heal our particular sin-caused wounds and scars. And then, some remarkable information. Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. He's not dead. Right now, he is walking on the road north to Galilee. And then, a promise. There you will see him, just as he told you. So far, you have only seen a negative, the empty tomb. But soon you will see the positive, the risen Jesus himself. How did the women respond? With shouts of joy and relief? That's what we would expect. Mark tells us in verse 8, something quite different. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is doubly disturbing. The women's terror is disturbing, and we're going to come back to that. But so is the way that Mark so abruptly ends his gospel. I've got an old spiral-bound book of, of piano music. And years ago, the last song in that book wore off. And because I didn't bother to reattach it, it has long been lost. And many scholars think that the same thing must have happened with Mark's gospel. It finishes so abruptly that the last page must have worn off and been lost. In fact, more than one ancient scribe had a go at rounding out the ending of Mark, and that explains the so-called long ending of Mark's gospel. You can see it there in your English translations, Mark 16, verses 9 to 20. And my New International Version helpfully notes that the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. Indeed, that's very true. Mark did not write verses 9 to 20. It is not part of God's word. We can see how some ancient, pious scribe took parts of Matthew, Luke, John and the Book of Acts to craft a more satisfying ending for Mark. But the Holy Spirit intended to finish his word at verse 8. He intended that this gospel end on a note of suspense and fear. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The stone was rolled away. Jesus' tomb was empty. And the reason it was empty is because Jesus had risen to life. And that is terrific. It is terrific as in terrifying and alarming. Let me explain what I mean. God is always at work on this earth. He sustains it, he provides for our needs, and he governs the course of human history. But here, 
History records that he reaches his hand down from heaven and raises his son from the grave. The women have seen, and we see, God reaching into time and space, intervening in a most alarming way. This is unquestionably the most important and astonishing event in history. God raises his son from the tomb. How can the world be the same again? How can your life or my life be the same again? If right now our entire lives are being shaped by a virus, if it is not right and sane to live as though that virus is not there, how much more must our lives be shaped by Jesus' resurrection? It must radically shape everything we believe about life and death. It must radically shape our every decision about now and our future. The resurrection is terrific. It is alarming because it changes everything. Our lives cannot be the same in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is terrific. It is terrific in the sense of unspeakably wonderful because God supernaturally intervenes to conquer death. Right now, as you know, death is in the news. When I wrote this, 731 people had died the previous day in New York City alone from the COVID-19 virus. In that one city, one person had died every two minutes. But death has always been there. In the world, 80 people die every minute of every day. The coronavirus has only unmasked this ever-present enemy. But Jesus Christ has defeated death. He rose from the grave. Death can no longer be the natural end for every human being. God never intended us to die. Death has never been natural. It is the unnatural punishment for the unnatural crime of sin. By dying for our sins, by taking that punishment, Jesus conquered death. As the Apostle Paul said, death has been swallowed up in victory. Right now, a message from Queen Elizabeth is being put up on giant billboards around London. It's a quote from a, an address that she gave to the nation recently about the coronavirus troubles. And the quote says this. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. And that is very heartwarming. And I love that the Queen has reached out to her people with such heartwarming and encouraging words in this time of uncertainty and fear. 
but I can think of a much better billboard message. A message not from the Queen, but from the King of Kings and the King of Queens, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message is this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And that is from John chapter 11, verse 25. I love the way the Gospel of Mark ends. I love it for its daring abruptness, for its unanswered questions, its refusal to pander to our hankering for a satisfying ending. Most of all, I love how it teaches me to respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is terrific, as in terrifying, because God reached into the world to break death, and so our lives can never be the same again. And it is terrific, as in wonderful. It is wonderful because God has opened the door to life for us all. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. On this Easter Sunday, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the risen Christ and his resurrection will become your resurrection. Though you die, yet you will live, and you will live forever. Believe in Jesus Christ on this Resurrection Sunday and receive eternal life from him. May God bless you and your family on this Easter Sunday, on this terrific Resurrection Day. Amen.